everybody and welcome back to another episode of Lab Talks, the non-fungible podcast. As you know, I am the usual host. I've had a bit of a hiatus, but I'm back now and I'm very happy to say I've been joined by Alex Payne from Vice. Alex, I don't know if you want to just briefly introduce yourself, your role at Vice, and then we can get into the meat a bit. Sure thing. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. Um, so yeah, I'm the VP of Ad Operations at Vice Media Group actually been a part of the company for almost 11 years now. Uh, time spent between three different offices, London, Amsterdam, and a short stint in Milan. Um, always in ad operations, but the department has, has evolved over my years at the company to the point where we now oversee all direct and indirect monetization of our O&O platforms, um, the distribution of, of branded content across our social platforms, um, I oversee an ad studio, a team of ad designers uh, that are tasked with, with building um, engaging and rich creatives for our, for our advertisers. And then there's also the, uh, the programmatic business as well that, that obviously we, we began working on together at your time with, uh, with ShareThrough. Yeah, we were just saying before the call, we've been each other now for like eight or nine years. And yeah, having been at Vice for 11 years, very, very impressive, I have to say. And it sounds like you do wear a lot of hats in your kind of day job, day to day. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the 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 um, the joy of the department. Really, it was a, it was an opportunity to begin with, really to to wear many hats. Um, I remember first starting in the in the London office as as a campaign manager, uh, but what that involved with was um, was you know activating campaigns like trafficking. Uh, I was media planning. I was I was managing relationships of. Of publishers across our advice network uh, involved in reporting. It was very, it was very multifaceted. Um, so it's been, it's been true to that throughout, really, and has allowed me to kind of expose myself to multiple areas of the media business. Mm. And it's remained interesting throughout. And I think it would be good just to, I guess, talk briefly. And you mentioned it at the beginning, but kind of have your direct business and then the indirect business would you be able to, would you mind going into like what the direct business entails then what the indirect business involves yes yeah, so the direct business is uh, i suppose quite traditional in that we have mm. um, local sales teams in key markets um pointed at at clients both you know new and old really um direct as well as agency um and the way that our US team is set up in the, is, is very much on a kind of pod basis around categories of advertiser. Okay. Uh, and we tend to kind of try and mimic that. You'll have salespeople that have their specialities in certain areas. Uh, we're quite blessed in, in the UK with our, with our ID sales team that is obviously very appropriate for fashion clients. Mm -hmm. um, and then similarly on the R29 side, you know, the different type of client base there to perhaps the one that, that Vice has, has grown up with um but we tend between the three we tend to cover the full spectrum really and would, would like to apply ourselves to to every type of, of of advertiser um out there it's similar with the indirect business i mean we yeah. issue programmatic deals via the same salespeople. we don't necessarily have like a dedicated programmatic or a dedicated direct team they all are mm -hmm. uh, asked with with selling both really um and the synergy between our two offerings when, we, when it comes to deals, particularly programmatic guaranteed deals, is quite helpful to them because we generally we can activate what they sell directly. We can do so, you know, indirectly or via a programmatic direct deal. Um, 
on the other hand, with our kind of more pure indirect business, like our uh, open market business, that's maintained by yeah. myself uh, and my technical solutions team, um, consisting of uh, Jan in Germany and Callum in Amsterdam, uh, where we uh, basically stand up, maintain, and optimize our our programmatic tech stack. Um, so from relationship management with our with our SSPs through to technical imp implementation of of the tech itself, um, reviewing the numbers, setting budgets, recognizing revenue, it's really contained within my team. Um, and then we act as consultants, obviously, to the commercial team on what they might do programmatically. So we're always on hand and always there to kind of steer them through client conversations. I think it's always really interesting to talk to someone like yourself when you think about the monetization of which you could you can describe as just selling ads across your portfolio of sites right but like when you really get into the nitty-gritty of it it is a very complex and comprehensive sales strategy to allow you to access what is quite fragmented pots of investments that you see from advertisers from agencies from brands direct so yeah it's always very interesting to kind of hear from yourself when you talk through how difficult that is i always think it's difficult running an exchange but i think it's much harder to work for a publisher because the the pots of money that you go after are always so varied there's always different rules around how you can engage with those pots of money and so on and so forth so i think i guess one of the reasons that we're talking is because we've worked for a long time but now in kind of this guise is that we're looking to start integrating some of your websites to help your monetization on the indirect side of things the kind of the programmatic stack as you described in your experience with kind of building that stack out where have you kind of had the most successes and then equally like where have been the pain points for kind of getting an effective monetization strategy sure yeah so i think the in the early days um and vice was was quite late to the scene in in terms mm -hmm. of of establishing it Establish, establishing its own programmatic marketplace. Um, we wanted to protect our direct business, perhaps a little bit longer than we should have done. Uh, we were quite, quite naive, really, thinking that um, you know it was it was one budget that we were ultimately going after when we knew and we know now that that it was two different budgets, right? Direct programmatic, and we yeah. wanted both. We wanted to engage with those same brands, those same advertisers in in both both ways and, and we could we had the the tools and the solutions to do so um so we stood things up you know around 2017 uh we partnered okay. with the index exchange on their head of bit of solution um and we really wanted to set things up quickly so we went with index given that it was a uh a, a more remote integration that they could optimize for us yeah. through a header script uh, we wanted to be sure that we were partnering with the with the key players in the marketplace, really, to to catch up um, and to make sure those um, those kind of key pipes were were laid down. So you know the familiar names really in the marketplace back then we we partnered with. Um, yeah. And we looked to complement that really with our approach was looking for uniqueness within within demand. Um, so I think if you'd asked me that question back in 2017, what was what was unique about a, a partner beyond the um, the core group that we that we signed up to as as default, then I would have said international like demand. So we had a very kind of broad 
global um, presence in terms of our of our traffic and our sales teams that wanted to complement their own sales with the indirect piece, right? To fill in, to fill in the inventory. Um, so we looked to any partner. I mean, we felt like in the in terms of US UK, we were well well covered. Um, yeah, but markets, you know, perhaps across uh, other markets across Northern Europe, maybe LATAM, maybe APAC. Mm -hmm. Uh, we we don't we looked for suitors in those areas, um, and then, and this is true now as well. Um, format wise, we wanted to to align as closely as possible the indirect sale, the indirect delivery of an ad, and the experience for our users with what they are experiencing uh, directly and only mm -hmm. up to that point. So, great example would be native, right? We spoke about yeah. Our partnership with ShareThrough previously, we were very quick to 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 uh, to partner with ShareThrough because of the um, the native demand that they're able to provide, which mimicked and complemented what we were already selling directly, and having that ad experience be be uniform really through direct and indirect. So, you know, that is true today. Um, I think we've experimented more now than we would have done then. Uh, we've lent into the formats offered by the partners um, more so than we did before, just to make sure that the mix of monetization is as strong as it can be. And I think from a geographical point of view, we've really kind of refocused on the core markets again, right? To make sure that we are the best setup for the US, we are the best setup for the UK, um, because that's where we're, we're pushing forward in terms of our, of our commercial focus. I think it's that's always one of the the sectors of the industry where I thought there was the most innovation was through ad formats. And I mean, when I first started out, I used to work for a company called Mozu, and we used to sell interstitials on mobile web, effectively. Which, yeah. yeah, which were a little bit nasty, to be honest with you. I think probably the click through rate could have been attributed to people with big thumbs rather than engaging ads, but. I think throughout that kind of, it must have been what, from like 2012 to kind of now, there was some really amazing innovation. You had like Outstream became a huge thing, like Teams yeah. ultimately getting acquired by Telefonica. As a, as a good example of a, of a format and a partner that we could align both directly and indirectly with the same experience yeah. and, and high value demand. So yeah, we've been with them since, since we began operating in this space really. And they, they, they were, they are a fantastic business still, you know, like you don't get to the size and scale that they do without doing something really well. And kind of when I took a, a brief hiatus into influencer marketing, which I wasn't a huge fan of, which kind of led Charlie and I to kind of founding Alchemy. And what I was quite still was really, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the, the open RTB specification that we're using has existed largely since kind of 2016, 2017 in the 2.6 iteration. So when we wanted to come to market, we wanted to be able to offer the same formats that you've discussed there, which again is what open RTB is great for. It's very, very standardized in terms of how those ad units are delivered, how people fit on those ad units and how an ad server ultimately delivers them onto page. But what we got really excited about was the potential to kind of really upgrade the underlying infrastructure and provide more value for publishers like yourselves you know like we take three percent of the bid we pass on as much revenue as possible to you because you guys create the content at the end of the day you know like you're, you're the reason for an ad to exist in the first place and i think sometimes it can be a little bit unfair with kind of publishers eating last as it were 
Yeah, it doesn't help support a quality marketplace. Ultimately, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the it's very, very short sighted to, to, um, to perhaps kind of feel that you know maximizing the um, all all kind of party share of the of the piece at the detriment of the yeah. publisher is is in the interest of 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 the industry because it, it isn't without the content and without it being a quality content experience the the industry will suffer absolutely right and it's like that is also like ads fund the open internet right like that's kind of how your journalists get paid your development teams get paid is through the revenue that's generated by ads so in having that kind of extracted from the middle there is and you've seen this across the board really but sometimes like people can rush to get an article out you know i always think about like the seven celebrities that stepped over a puddle this week like who really cares about that you want more of the quality journalism reporting on the things that matter that's accessible to as many people as possible and there was kind of a period of time where paywalls and subscriptions became very much in vogue but because there was so much content around people were just like, oh, I just get it in my Facebook feed. It's aggregated from the times, let's say, and pushed there anyway. So yeah. I think really the way that we view the world is that we should just be trying to put as much money back into publishers like Vice's pockets so you can continue writing the amazing content you do. I mean, particularly Vice is a multimedia publisher. You know, you have a TV channel, you've got your in-depth journalism, just general journalism, and then the amazing branded content that you do. It's like a multifaceted business, which you need to be, be able to create content for throughout, despite obviously yeah. the market challenges and the commercial pressures on the business. It's it's still quality first, you know, um, and it's important as much in in like our editorial output as as I, the way I see it within within what we do in our ad business. You know, um, it has to remain quality. Yeah, exactly. And so to kind of guess talk about web3 i mean everyone's talking about web3 all the time now um how are vice thinking about it is there do you have any strategies if you can't say please don't get yourself in trouble but yeah <laughs> do you have conversations about web3 in the office i don't necessarily no i think it's a very key topic keen, keen topic for our for our agency virtue um yeah. to engage clients on so i know we've done some work um with some brands there um so yeah not really yeah i think if you'd asked our kind of our, our product team perhaps they are considering you know ways in which we could we could present ourselves in that in that um in that environment um but i think it's remained more of a kind of client um more of a virtue client kind of setup than than anything else um that makes sense yeah, yeah. i think one of the ways that we think about kind of web three rails and this we're probably a little bit away before this is actually kind of realized but because with web three infrastructure you kind of in effect increase the thickness of the the protocol layer if you will so like the application layer is liking tweeting interacting with the front end and the protocol layer really was limited to kind of connecting the databases where the content's held so you can access the content anywhere i think what blockchains and web3 allow for is the kind of transfer of value proof of ownership on the underlying infrastructure so the way that we're kind of thinking about that is that 
there might be a future where people have a browsing wallet that they use. So rather than kind of having a cookie notice that appears when you log into a page, you connect your browsing wallet. That wallet will have some information around you anyway. So whether it's you've got some crypto in there or whether you have certain NFTs from like a Nike or a Starbucks or Adidas, some of these big brands that are now moving into that Web3 space, the Alchemy infrastructure could feasibly surface those bits of information like hey, there's a Nike NFT in this wallet. Is that then interesting for Nike to retarget that user? Is it interesting for Adidas to try and show them a pair of trainers instead? And there has been a long spoken about cookie apocalypse that apparently now is slated for June 2024. And I think the timing is going to end up being quite nice with the adoption of Web3 and blockchain to allowing wallets online to become a ready-made replacement almost for when cookies do finally disappear, which I'm sure you can talk to this better than I can, but cookies are essential for the targeting of ad campaigns, even knowing when an ad was served. So it is like a bit of an existential crisis that is facing the industry. And I don't know if that's probably the first time you've heard that, Alex, but I don't know if you have any like thoughts on like the cookie apocalypse or, and then kind of any, any other replacements outside of blockchain actually that you think might come in and help solve for cookies disappearing at any point in the future, if that does indeed happen. Yeah, and I like I like the idea of um, of almost like an extension, really, on 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 browser yeah. that is that is a user's profile that, if anything, is just going to save them time and 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 stress and yeah. even just nuisance, right? In in having to kind of agree to all of these um, these uh, cookie modals and 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 privacy yeah. modals that appear, and no one they, they don't read them, and they they're going to click yes if they, if they can. You know, clearly identify which option is yes because it's not always clear. Mm. <laughs> That's <laughs> they, very true. Yeah, they don't click yes. It's probably not because they meant to click no, right? Yeah. That's more complication added to the matter. I, I just to speak quickly about the way that we approached our setup there. Um, yeah, is we wanted to kind of simplify it as as best possible. You know, I think the language that can be included in those in those modals is is very overbearing to the average internet user. It's overbearing to me. Um, so, you know, I think it's as simple as possible. While we're forced to to use that, just have a very and ask a very simple question up front. Um, allow, obviously, I think you have to for the legal reasons. Allow the user to access more information and more control, but don't put all those controls right in front of a user's face. It's like asking them to fill out a complicated, complicated, com uh, complicated questionnaire when walking into a store. You wouldn't do that. Yeah. You know? You'd ask somebody a simple yes or no question if you had to for legal reasons. But even that as a barrier to entry is not fun. You know, you want yeah, to be out I agree. to kind of just to walk in at your own leisure and, and be comfortable and uh, take a look around without having any kind of barrier to entry, right? Um, that's yeah. not great. Um, so, yeah, with you on that, and I think, you know, I think the way in which we can get around um, we'll need to get around kind of what's going to happen with with cookies and is already happening, right? Just to some extent, browser-wise, um, is just re-identification. Really, uh, I think identification yeah. is important for for personal choice, right, and relevance and and um, engagement and all these all these things that that have held up the advertising industry um, as being so both so strong and of high value and effectiveness. Um, there will need to be some form of, of re-identification. Um, contextual is, is an area that we've specialized in for, yeah. for many years. We lent into it quite early um, in respect in, in, you know, 
in contrast to what we did with with programmatic we were a very early adopter of of a, of a brand safety approach for, for obvious reasons really for, for who we who we are as or who we were as yeah. a device brand really um so contextual in terms of like what we consider to be a live audience is still very much live in terms of an option going forward right um so there's that um there's user reg right so you spoke a little bit about um you know the subscription model that's established itself across the industry we don't have one at large advice we have a, a model on the waypoint side of things waypoint plus mm -hmm. uh, which has been doing well for us uh, and we are looking to add a, a news based um subscription offering to, okay nice um not one that would stand in the way of any content but one that would unlock additional features and and benefits for a user uh which is the model we adopted and 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 did the point so there's that reg there's perhaps modeling off the back of reg um we've partnered with uh with piano actually as our not only our dmp of choice but also our analytics platform of choice as well so we've lent into that solution uh, we feel good about them being future proof in terms of a, of a data management platform um and yeah just it's about re-identifying or in some cases just identifying our audience because yeah one thing that i always questioned about the use of of um of you advertising data of users is its authenticity you know um yeah i can find myself in terms of data segments being you know every age range um you know every single gender identity right <laughs> uh interest in every single sport um which just isn't true you know it just isn't true um and perhaps in the in the kind of quest for more scale uh true identity was lost and we need to establish that again i agree because i think like advertising for me is like little and often works really well like i I actually found it was funny. I was on the tube the other day and I saw an advert for Ingham's, which is like a skiing um, holiday provider. And I was I was due to go skiing before Christmas. It got cancelled because it snowed and the entire UK just grinds to a complete halt. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll have a look to see if you can get any like last minute deals with a little bit of snow that's left. And I was like, where am I going to look? And I was like, oh shit, I actually remember seeing that ad Ingham's. So I used it and that was just like me passing it on the tube. And I was like, it's such a shame that Ingham's are never going to know that I saw their ad on the tube. Right. And then Googled it. It's like the attribution becomes wrong. And I think being able to be shown the right ad at the right time quite often works. You're like, oh, where does, you're like, I, okay, I want, want to do that. What have I seen? Oh, here's a website. It's showing me an ad for what I want. And that is when it can really help. I think, as you say, when you get shown the wrong ads at the wrong time, it can make the whole experience feel quite alien. And sometimes, like particularly now in the era of Zoom calls, if I often show websites and then you, it shows the trainers that I was looking at in a basket last night on ASOS or whatever it was, and I always get ratted out. I always say by my cookies on my browser for stuff that I've been googling in my own time. And right, yeah, there's no other way to really target ads though. Is that without doing that with a cookie at the moment? I think yeah, it's so and I think there's careful. also. I mean, you're speaking about outdoor there, and I think outdoor mm. is is a, is a kind of a method of advertising. A, a, I kind of envy it at times, right? Because it's yeah. sort of it's viewable. It's sort of assumed viewable, right? Because it's yeah. you know, 
it's in the, it has the opportunity to be seen, right? And in a way, I wish that the digital industry had adopted that as a as a way to measure mm. the viewability of an ad. Like, is it is it in a well lit kind of well trodden place, right? Does it mm. have good traffic, right? And is it not kind of is it front and center? You know, like is it going to be yeah. seen? And we assume that without door, it kind of is, right? Because it's mm. it's not like up um, a dark alley somewhere where it's not seen yeah. and not goes, right? Um, it's just an opportunity to be seen. So I'm envious of that. And also just the fact that also like look at something as as um accepted and admired really as just a um as like Times Square or Piccadilly Circus yeah. advertising experience. It's cool. You're not really looking at relevance yeah. there. You're just creating a cool advertising experience. In a way, that's what I want to do on Vice. You know, it's yeah. what I've always wanted to do on Vice. I've always created a cool advertising experience and put the kind of relevancy and hyper-targeting to one side, you know? Mm -hmm. So maybe that is how we go. We just create quality advertising experiences to complement what we hope is quality journalism. Absolutely right. I think it's... I, I will still buy magazines, you know, because, like, when you kind of get that full-page glossy ad in a particular magazine, it's like there has been a lot of thought and consideration into taking that photo, editing that photo, some messaging behind where that photo is set, what the image is actually portraying. And again, it's like you assume a, a Londoner will walk through Piccadilly, right? And it's like a certain type of person will buy a certain type of magazine. You never need to prove it. And I think that's where it's kind of the joys, the blessing and the curse digital advertising is that you can measure everything to the nth degree. You can have like dwell time, time in view, clicks, quartile completions, so on and so forth. And what is that actually really telling you about whether someone interacted with an ad or not? You know, it's just like being in the right place, getting that editorial halo from being in a, a good magazine yeah, with a high quality ad creative is the way to go. It's under extreme magnifying glass, right? Mm. Right have such a thing to hand then you'd probably probably enjoy it more you know yeah um, like i'm literally at this moment i'm getting a radiator fitted in my kitchen right and i know that <laughs> yeah. i painted that they're putting it on and i know they're going to mark it and i know that if i got up to yeah. that and i had an magnifying glass i'd see marks i'm just not going to bother i'm not going to look at it that closely exactly know? right yeah enjoy their work yeah, just yeah, you take it for the warmth rather than the the, the view it, of it. Yeah, the warmth. Let's just take take the advertising for the warmth that it gives us. Yeah, <laughs> not the exactly. Right. You can you can tell <laughs> we we can tell we both work in advertising, can't you? <laughs> so yeah, I think. How do you kind of view? You kind of briefly touched upon the cookie side of things, but the next sort of, I guess, one to two to three years coming up. Um, in advertising, like where do you, where do you love it to go? I can explain that a little bit, but where, where do you think it's going to end up? Do you think it's going to be more open marketplace? Do you think it's going to be more direct deals? Like where, where's your head at? I mean, from the perspective of 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 Vice Media Group, really, um, I'd like to see us continue what we're doing today, really, and in, in having that that value, that strength to to stand up uh, and, and, and keep um, successful a direct business um, focused mm -hmm. on, on branded content. So allowing us to work with brands, obviously, to produce content that um, is, is meaningful and effective and, 
and can help create a quality experience, not just on our own and operator channels, but across obviously the social channels that we that we turn to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like that to continue. I think we'd, we'd agree that we that we would um, like whole like collectively across the business. Really, we have seek to kind of address you know uh, economies of scale issue with with activating across social um, by actually mm-hmm. coming up with quite a new format last year that we called Canvas, which was basically Okay, nice. made assets that the client provided for the um the uh like co co-partnership co-content partnership really and and framing it quite literally with with one of our brands um so we we bring the content to our audience under our handle in partnership with obviously the brand itself right so um just a border right it really comes down to just having a border and a couple of slides that are templated works very well with uh like trailer content like movie trailer content uh and also maybe gallery images you know um that we can just take have in the ad studio just create a uh, or or, um frame within these uh within these slides really and these um these units and then scale across social obviously because we can find such scale um yeah. while keeping that context as vmg you know um so that's something that we've kind of done to to uh to to work with obviously the um the greater cost with with activating across social versus ono and the and the scale um considerations of of what we have on ono versus social obviously so yeah the way that we've kind of a and also, also minim, like mim, mirrored what we've been doing um, publishing-wise and in, in looking social first, right? Um, but looking ahead, I think the website experience is something that we're certainly looking at to to reinvent. Really, mm-hmm. uh, I think websites just look too much like one another these days. Yeah, you know, um, I'd agree with that. Yeah. And there's probably too many ads as well, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and there's too much kind of short sightedness in in terms of okay, let's make sure we're monetized well, right? At, in that moment, um, so that kind of long that user, like that longer user journey, isn't perhaps considered as much as I'd like it to be. Um, yeah. So what we're looking at doing is is creating more of a um, like a, an opportunity for the content discovery across our platforms so taking obviously what's great about about social in terms of like social uh, stories content um feeds yeah. you know um relevance quality perhaps even some user generated content as well is something mm-hmm. that we look at uh how we can build that into a new website experience that i think needs to be mobile first and what i would yeah, argue totally. for we actually revert back to the days of of a separate site for the desktop and mobile and, and abandon the whole idea of it being responsive anymore. Because mm-hmm. I think they just be built very differently now. Like the experience doesn't need yeah. to one another across those two platforms. Like mobile, we're so used to how we consume con- uh, content on social that we should look to mirror that um, in a way that's going to keep the user engaged and live within that experience, right? And not going back to the social platform, right? Because we've probably got them from there, but yeah, we kind of keep mm. them within um, within the vice experience and learning more about the stories that we're telling and have told, you know, because there's such a library there 
um, video particularly, you know, and resurfacing that is is a value um, industry like market wise as much as obviously for the company, right? To have that to have that looked at again and resurfaced. Um, so there's that. Yeah. I think that um, the way that the type of content needs to be um, presented is 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 relevant too. So we have Vice News, right? I think the experience for news I think is 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 relevant there. Um, probably more relevant for desktop than it is for mobile. So again, like that kind of like yeah. device consider consideration around website experiences. We should be having that really. We should be creating different experiences for both. Um, yeah, I think that's probably where where we're headed um, yeah. across all of the brands. It's really interesting. It's interesting you say that there should be fewer ads online, and I think that is kind of one of the the secondary effects that we hope Alchemy can help publishers achieve. You know, it's like I think the first step for us is to finalize the integration. We get inside your pre-bid wrapper and help monetize the inventory that you have. But then my hope is that because we're giving you so much more of that bid back, you would have fewer ads being shown, a more considered ad being shown, and then. I really look forward to it as our partnership grows. Like, how can we help you on like the? I can't call it boring, but it's the it's the really interesting blockchain underlaying infrastructure. Like, how do we potentially tie it in with the paywalls that you have and the registrations of users and using a blockchain to ensure that is true and that it's not you're not being spoofed. There's that kind of layer of authenticity coming from an immutable ledger of data that allows you to prove that someone is who they say they are and you can kind of show them the right ad accordingly or not depending on is this someone that only spends five seconds a week on our sites do we want to remove the ad experience get them to enjoy vice content more so create have them become a fan and then start to respectfully show them some ad units that complement the experience rather than kind of push people away straight away when you kind of come yeah. I like that. I like that because not only are you, are you personalizing the experience for them, right? But you're you're perhaps helping the the um, the you know you're helping alleviate ad block as a as an issue for the, yeah. the industry, right? Because you're allowing them to decide. Okay, yeah, on this publisher, I'm good with ads, but perhaps on a different publisher, I'm not. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, it's been a concern of ours that. That perhaps an ad experience on on a different publisher is is uh, is costing us that literally right is costing yeah. us that user on our on our own site despite our best efforts and intentions and and uh, and goodwill right in, in respect of the user and our content totally. so uh, yeah There's, actual um, choices around advertising I mean obviously we've had ad choices in the market for quite some time but that's only really important one player if it informs every player then yeah. You know, the user would be far more appreciative and, and warmed by by advertising than they are i agree because it's like we've, we've spoken in the office like if you rewarded people and then i kind of stole this idea from duolingo you know like you're learning your language you get a streak in their app where you've revisited day after day after day i think that if you could reward someone that came back to a buy property on a monday and then a tuesday and a wednesday and a thursday and a friday and then they get a roundup of a newsletter of all the content that was perhaps behind the paywall or whatever it may be like there's a really neat way with a blockchain in particular to prove that that's taken place and then reward people for doing so like i think the the issue that we've 
well, the problems that we found ourselves had is that there's there's just too much content online right now. Like you can get your content basically wherever you want to. A lot of that loyalty is lost to particular publications or whatever it may be. Because some people have shown people too many ads and people just in general are like, hey, ads, they're ridiculous. They're my favorite website. Mm. But like the, the old value exchange was, okay, I'm going to produce great content. We have to show ads on that content to pay for it in the future. Advertisers want to access certain audiences and there's kind of that like intended value exchange on the internet. We call talk about it. And it's like that has really been lost because there's loads of ad units. People block ads, probably just have to show more ads to those users that haven't blocked it to try and get that money to then get more ad. But you know what I mean? It just like becomes this really bad self-perpetuating spiral, which it just is yeah. it nets out to things like the GDPR, right? Where all of a sudden regulators came in who may or may not have had an in-depth understanding of the marketplace and then like with very broad strokes came and made some big changes that impacted a lot of businesses. I remember kind of speaking personally when I was at ShareThree, we went, we had something crazy like a 25 times reduction in the revenue that we saw in like the week after GDPR was wow. rolled out because we simply couldn't even, we couldn't even tell if a cookie, if an impression had been shown to someone like we blanket, you cannot target anyone without their consent whatsoever. And it had a big impact on the business. And I think that really that's favored the big social platforms because they've got very deep pockets and also an enormous audience where even if some people don't want to see an ad, they're going to come there anyway because people yeah. absolutely love social media. So I think, yeah, there's there's a lot of room to improve where we're at. And I think that yeah, Vice have always done a good job. I mean, we talked briefly at the beginning, but when we worked together, like, We've had a lot of conversations around branded content and um, sponsored content and kind of keeping that ad experience very good for an individual. And I think, yeah, it'll be great now with my alchemy hat on if we can help do that. It'll be a slightly different route, but just yeah, providing you guys with a bit more revenue that allows you to be more considered about ad choices that you're making because you're getting more of that money from the advertiser, whereas sometimes you can lose it. Yeah, fully agree. And I think it would be um, it would also be right to to mention, obviously, the the authentication of that ad impression as well is is mm. something a bit like GDPR that the industry is yeah continue to struggle with, right? Um, so still like huge value in in interesting that the impression you know is it's come from the source that it's supposed to have done that the the yeah. revenue is shared the way it's supposed to have been um, and that you can actually trace that. I mean, yeah, yeah that, it's only going to help the the industry um, from both, you know, publisher and advertiser side, just, just trust, particularly programmatic, right? Just yeah. trust it. Um, and I guess that's outdoor, right? You can trust outdoor, mm -hmm. walk outside and see the thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly that, yeah. Yeah, not as easy to do. You have to sort of trust the, the numbers that you're seeing and scrutinize the numbers that you're seeing. And then through scrutiny comes, become like, you find faults, right? Because you're looking for it. Yeah. That's actually very, I had never even thought about it like that way. Like there, there is really no issue aside, I guess, from the specific advertisers, whether they are following ad guidelines or not. But like, you can't spoof an ad in Piccadilly Circus. <laughs> it either is or it isn't and then yeah, like, that is the, I hope, and I hope that's the answer to the numbers yeah can you imagine although like yeah. maybe with these new 3d ads that are going on but 
Um, yeah, yeah how about that? There'll probably be a pair of like specs you can wear, and okay, just wear these and walk out, and you can actually see it in the location that you're, <laughs> you're planning to. Yeah, place. it'll be cool. It always when it whenever I think about that, it always reminds me of Minority Report in that scene yeah. where he's like walking through the street and he's trying to make eye contact with the ad, so he gets yeah. I mean, alerts when, when the authorities. When was that film out? Because I'm sure it was before I got into advertising, and I thought I want to work. Yeah, in advertising. having seen that particular scene, I was like, "This is cool." Yeah, it's got. It must be like the early 2000s that film came yeah. out. I'm sure. And it, what, what's crazy about those films is they always predict the year, right? And the year is probably yeah. more or less the year we're in today. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes them fun. Oh, it makes me feel old. Yeah. Well, Alex, I think. Thank you for joining the podcast. This has been great. I've had a really good conversation. Um, we had an old tradition, and I think you're probably a, a good candidate for this, but what has been your favorite ever ad that you've seen anywhere, really? Hmm. I to think about that one for a second. Um, I, so my, my favorite one recently, and this is because I, can't, I forget which one it is, but I was actually speaking to someone on the way into the office. It was... It was someone that was taking the piss out of crypto. It was like, I want to buy this glass of milk. And it's like, well, we only take cryptos. I've got a fiver. And I just thought that was kind of very much encapsulating, I think, how a lot of people view blockchain. But also part of me didn't didn't like the easy jab they were making because I think outside of, well, certainly some bad players that exist in the market, the underlying technology um, it's going to be great. It's going to solve a lot of the stuff I think we were talking about. Um, yeah. And generally make life people's lives a bit easier. Not quite there yet, yeah. but we're getting there. Let me think. Okay, I've got a good one. It's from like oh, early, yeah, days, early days of, yeah. of, of me working in advice. Um, mm -hmm. So basically, these are the days of like, like leaderboards and M MPUs being all, all the yeah, rage. I mean, right? Yeah. Um, and we actually had an advertiser, and I, I want to say, I can't remember who it was, but I want to say they did this intentionally. Mm. They put together probably the worst looking like leaderboard I'd seen. It was very kind of clip yeah. you know? But I think they did it intentionally. Yeah. And like the click through rate on that was insane, you know, because I think because really? of the uniqueness of it, yeah. right? Um, interestingly, it was unique because it looked quite bad, you know? Yeah. But I think now it, what's what's kind of um, quite important to consider in that is I think the uniqueness now would be in how, how good something looks. Um, mm. Yeah, someone's intention that way. This thing obviously got people's attention because it was just such a, such a bad ad. It was like, <laughs> you know, the, the the logo was far bigger than it needed to be. Like the image that was being used as like the primary image was probably like blurry, you know. Um, intentionally made bad but incredible click-through rate like we're talking like 10 really um wow that, that was, was my favorite unreal. ad because it just broke the norm you know yeah okay yeah the norm in terms of high quality mm. i think that probably puts us in a very nice place to wrap that up so alex thank you very much for your time i know you're very busy i really appreciate you jumping on to um shoot the breeze with me and yeah I think that we'll call it a day there. Thank you very much for your time, mate. Thank you for having me. We'll speak very soon. Awesome. Cheers, Alex. Cheers. Thank you. Goodbye.